Welcome to episode five of the Half Point Per Podcast, a bonus pod this week. Like we said, we went a little bit too long on the previous podcast, so that is now cut in two, but we are going to add a little bit to the beginning of this pod recording on a Sunday afternoon. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host Dalton Willie and producer Johnny Pham. And again, like I said last time, this episode, you are going to hear us fully break down the Falcons and the Cowboys. Last episode, if you haven't listened to it, was the Bears and the Seahawks. Um, so go check that out as well. This is part two of those NFC breakdowns. But first, before you hear that part of the show, um, Dalton, I wanted to talk a little bit about Dalvin Cook. And I'm just going to kind of run down the situation um, everything that's happened, and then we can get into it. So on a conference call to address a three-year extension for Mike Zimmer, uh, Vikings head coach, earlier this week, he said that Dalvin Cook told him he will show up at training camp this Tuesday when veterans are set to report, and that is according to ESPN. Uh, Cook's agent, Zach Hiller, says that conversation just did not happen. He just flat out said that didn't happen. And here's the quote. He says, Dalvin has not spoken to him, and him being Zimmer, in regards to reporting the camp, we are unsure why this was said. I hope Dalvin can continue to play a major role in the Vikings' future success. In June, Cook's camp said that he will hold out until he receives a, quote, reasonable contract extension. So I guess you can be the judge, all of you, on what a reasonable extension means for Dalvin Cook. But Dalton, just I, I want to get your kind of your feel your overall thoughts on the situation obviously cook he had almost 1700 yards from scrimmage last year top 10 in the nfl last season well like i had told you previously saturday morning i woke up and i moved dalvin cook to my rb2 spot because before he got injured last season he was the running back two in fantasy by a pretty good margin he's a powerful guy he runs great and he's one of the most successful every down backs in the nfl um and then the mike zimmer faking it information came out from Dalvin Cook's agent and he's back down to six on my list but Dalvin Cook is now on my do not draft there when when there's a lot of back and forth between a player's agent and the organization and they seem like they're on different pages there's just a lot of worry so if before your draft there's no concrete deal in place and I don't even know if these two are talking about putting a deal in place you're just not going to want to draft the guy uh, one player that I'd look out for later in the fifth or sixth round is Alexander Madison. You can get him over some guys who are playing in committees, and he's going to be an immediate every down back if he if Dalvin doesn't report to camp. Uh, it looks like training camp reports on Monday, so we're going to know a lot more whether or not Dalvin Cook shows up. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, if you go into your drafts and Dalvin Cook hasn't signed a deal, I just wouldn't draft him. There's too much risk involved in it. In a year where running back is thin and you're spending an early pick on a guy who might sit out half the season. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm glad you addressed that because I was going to ask you about the moving him up to your RB2. And, and this is not to take a jab at you, but you you are um, pretty risk averse when it comes to, or I guess I should say you have a quick trigger sometimes when it comes to fantasy football. Like I know we joked about, but you know, last year you drafted Melvin Gordon and it was at a pretty good value, but you traded him before the season even, even started. So I just want to hear your perspective and you kind of already got into it then on kind of what you're looking out for, how you approach the the holdout situations just in general and specifically with Cook. I know you say he's on your do not draft. So they're in no world, like you have the what, the ninth pick in our draft right now? If he doesn't have a contract, but if he's still there at the ninth pick, you're saying you're not going to draft him? 
No, I'm not going to take Cook in anywhere in the first three rounds. Likely, if he's around in the fourth, if contract extensions still aren't, or, you know, if they're still in discussions late in August when we draft, then there's a chance I take him in the fourth as a flyer because of the high upside. But if you have a first round pick, I wouldn't recommend drafting the guy at this rate when the organization is so off base and Mike Zimmer is publicly making comments that are just false. Likely leads me to believe that there there's not a lot of movement going on, and that the organization is trying to pressure Cook by putting false news and narratives into the media to force him and his agent to sign a deal he doesn't want to. And we've seen this play over in San Diego, where it didn't work out for the Chargers organization. We saw it play over in Pittsburgh, where the running back can just sit out an entire season. They know they have a short shelf life, and when they get used as much as these guys, they're more than likely to sit out a year. The only different thing to watch for in this is Dalvin Cook still technically has two years on his contract. If he does not play this year, it does not accrue towards his years, and he's going to have to play two more. So he's going to try to force a trade, which is really where you're going to hope there's value if you're sitting halfway through the season and Dalvin hasn't touched the turf. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think there's a lot to unpack with with this whole situation, and we're probably not going to get into all of it at the moment. But I, I just think it's interesting because – you mentioned the Bell holdout, and I would say that, you know, even though Bell, I think, has publicly said on Twitter that it worked out for him and he got what he wanted, I would say that he probably ended up worse off than had he not held out. And Melvin Gordon, I'm not sure you could really say it worked out for him. I don't think the, I don't know what the two contracts were side by side, but I think he actually may have ended up with less money or at least less long term security in Denver than he could have got. Um, with the Chargers. So I don't know. You would think that like these guys would quit holding out because it hasn't really worked, but that's not that has not been the case. And I think it's interesting. And I'm not saying you're wrong because we really don't know, but I think it's interesting that your perspective on it is you think that the Vikings are putting out um, the false narratives to kind of put pressure on him, which very well could be the situation. My read on the whole deal is I I wouldn't be so I think Again, we don't know any of this, obviously, but I think that that conversation between Cook and Zimmer, I think it probably happened, if if I'm being honest. I think it probably happened, and I think that that's probably Cook That's probably Cook saying he wants to come, like he, he wants to report, and I, I think the agent saying, no, 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 we're not doing that. that. That's kind of what I think. That doesn't necessarily change how we feel about the situation, how uneasy we are about it, but I think it's just... In these situations, you just have to pay attention to who's saying what and think about why they're saying these things to really try and figure out what's going on to hopefully make the best prediction on on what's going to happen. But until he signs a deal, like you said, there's really you really can't feel safe uh, about the situation. And and sure, Madison is definitely a guy that that you should look at probably in the mid rounds if there's still no deal for Cook by by mid to late August. And we really haven't, like you said, we haven't really heard if they're talking, what negotiations are going like. We haven't seen like the reports, like, you know, Cook and Vikings are far apart on deal or they're close. We don't, I mean, there's really been nothing. It's really been dead silence up until now, quite frankly. So just hopefully you're not drafting anytime soon. So you have plenty of time to kind of just watch this unfold. Last thing, Dalton, I am just curious about his mobility in your rankings. So you said you have him as your RB6. Correct. If he so okay, I think I know if he doesn't sign a contract, you said he's not going in the first three rounds for you. So that would put him more in like the RB like twenty four range. Like that's like right on the fringe of RB two, basically. Um, I'm curious what your upward mobility is for him. If he signs a deal, could you see yourself moving him up to second, like you said, or 
what what what's his upward mobility for you? Yeah, I mean the Vikings on PFF have a top ten graded offensive line. It's a great run blocking line. They're a run first offense, and Kirk Cousins has less options to throw to this year. So all around, I think that he's in a better situation than Saquon, who was right now my RB two. Um, and more importantly, I think he outproduced Saquon last year. I know there were injury concerns involved, but at the end of the day, uh, Dalvin Cook is a workhorse. He signs a contract, then he's very likely back up to my RB2. I'm curious with the holdout concerns, have you moved him at all or where do you have him? No, so I've had him at RB5 this whole time with like 1% of the whole lockout thing impacting how I how I feel about his ranking, I guess. I think the little unknown is why I like right now I have Kamara for Dalvin Cook five. I think if Cook signed a deal, he'd move up to four for me, or at least would be a tough choice. But I don't think he has much more upward mobility than that for me. And you know, for me, I as far as downward mobility, I probably would be a little higher on than you still, but I don't think I can see myself taking him in the first two rounds. I mean it especially this year, I think it's just going to be tough, especially depending on your league rules. It's just tough to commit a roster spot to a guy that you have no idea when he's playing, when you have no idea on a week-to-week basis what your lineup is going to look like. Even if you have coronavirus IR spots, one or two of them, you could have three guys in any given week or out then for two weeks. So there's just a lot of variables, a lot of unknown. I'm glad we could talk about it a little bit, though. It's an interesting conversation, but we're just kind of in wait-and-see mode right now. Absolutely. I think at the end of the day, you, you're, you're going to want a later draft if you're taking Dalvin. If you're drafting in the next couple of weeks, he's probably just an avoid unless you really get the backs you want early on. He falls to you in the early third or something. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And we could maybe hit on this a little bit. We're going to talk about the Bengals later this week. I know you love Joe Mixon and there hasn't been as much holdout smoke with him. But there has been a little bit like I, I think it's not a zero percent chance that he holds out. So I'm curious to get to that conversation when we get there later in the week. But that's a conversation for another pod. OK, so we are going to move in. You're going to hear the recording of, of our other two teams from earlier in the week uh, later on this podcast. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Um, the Falcons seven and nine last year. That over under is seven and a half. Dalton, I'm taking the under. What say you? Jeez, come on, man. You got to take the over. <laughs> this Do I? The, the Atlanta Falcons are a team that have cost me more money gambling than any other team in the NFL. <laughs> uh, I always think that they're going to be perennially great and they are perennially trash. But if you look at the last five games Atlanta had just to get to, a, I think, an eight and eight record last season, they they, took were, they were like seven and nine last year, but they did start off like one and six. Yes. They, and they took teams like Seattle down to the wire, and they were playing great games once they got rolling. And well, I stop really, the Saints. I, well, the Saints are a different team altogether, but I think that <laughs> the, the Falcons are a team that could really surprise a lot of people in the NFC South this year. And I think they could come out in second place, maybe even first place in that division, depending on how their cards fall. Okay, so we'll go real quickly over Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Matt Ryan, QB 11 last, or QB 11 last year, QB 8 entering this draft uh, according to fantasy focuses consensus rankings you're taking him as a low end qb1 you're gonna get good numbers from matt ryan that's kind of all there is to that discussion for me uh julio jones in everybody's top five a lot of people top three hall of famer great player i don't have much to say on julio jones don't unless you have any julio hot takes I don't have any Julio hot takes. I have some Atlanta Falcons hot takes real quick. Okay, so let's let's move to where 
where I think the hot takes might be coming. Calvin Ridley, he is the consensus wide receiver 16 currently on fantasy pros on their rankings last year he was 63 for 866 yards and seven touchdowns that was in less than a full season i thought i had it in front of me but i don't i think that was like 13 games or 11 games you missed some time with injury but good for wide receiver 23 last year the yardage and receptions are almost the exact same as the rookie year just three fewer touchdowns but obviously fewer games dalton what, what what do you say about Calvin Ridley? I think this might be where the hot takes start. Well, first of all, last year, if you break out his receiving line over 16 games because he was injured, it was 76 receptions, 1,030 yards, and nine touchdowns. Now, the reason I am buying Calvin Ridley's breakout season, first and foremost, I've said this 16 different ways on every pod. They play 11 out of their 15 fantasy-relevant games indoors. Matt Ryan eats indoors. Additionally, Dirk Cutter returns to the OC, and they led the team in pass attempts last year. They're going to probably do it again this year. Their defense isn't that great. And most importantly, they are missing a league-high 258 targets. Their only addition was Hayden Hurst and Todd Gurley, and I can easily see Calvin Ridley eating into a lot more of those targets, especially with a belated training camp season thanks to COVID. And his only competition at wide receiver are Laquan Treadwell, who's been a burnout in the NFL, Christian Blake, Devin Gray, and Brandon Powell, and then Russell Gage. There's nobody in that offense who's going to be able to take away targets from him other than Julio when it comes out of their two wide receiver sets. I think Russell Gage, if I'm not mistaken, I think that is who is going to be their wide receiver three. I think I just saw that very recently, so I'm glad you mentioned him at the end there. So I don't know what the... like. I do see what you're saying with the targets. I do agree that he could have a big season. The thing about Ridley is his upside to me is just always going to be capped. Playing next to a Hall of Famer has its benefits, but one major downside is the upside of being a top five wide receiver just probably isn't there because Julio is going to get so many targets and put up such big numbers like he does every year. To me, I don't really see him being more than like a top 15 guy at best, which is still good. Obviously still good. I still want that guy on my team, but I don't know. I'm just curious. Cause like, I feel like anytime I hear anybody talk about Calvin Ridley, you would think that he is prime for like a top 10 season. And to me, I don't quite see that, but at the same time, I feel pretty safe in saying he's going to be a top 20, at least wide receiver. And I agree with that. Um, and that's why I'm taking him there is I think he's a safe floor bet. Um, he has a high ceiling, but I do think Julio caps it. But he's one of the few guys you can take and feel safe knowing he can. his floor might be wide receiver 24 in the, this year. Mm-hmm. He, his floor is not super low, and he's going to probably consistently return value. And you might have a couple of big games mixed in there, which is where my excitement for him comes in. Especially if you go running back, running back, running back. You want a wide receiver who's just going to consistently give you points on the board. Yeah, and he's a guy that can, you know, he can he'll sometimes win you a week with with a two touchdown, hundred yard game for sure. Um, Dalton, we we can talk about Hayden Hurst next here. I know he's a guy in our ranking shows. Before we did our show, you were upset with my quote disrespect uh, of Hayden Hurst. I think was the word that you used last year with the Ravens, thirty receptions for two hundred forty nine yards and two touchdowns. That is tight end thirty four on the season last year. I think we can just start a larger discussion um, with him 
as far as he's on a new team just in general i don't know how much we talked about this maybe a little bit but how do we feel about guys on new teams this year just given everything going on or you know maybe a better term not going on due due to covid well first of all fun fact about hayden hurst he's been in the nfl one year and is the same age as eric ebron and played four less nfl seasons (laughs) um the guy is old um but when it comes to having new guys on teams in this current era, it's scary because there's just so much less time for them to work with the offense and get accustomed to it. Uh, and I think Hayden Hurst is another one of those guys who could be bereft to start the season to have a really explosive start. Um, the plus side to Hayden Hurst is out of 39 qualified tight ends last year, he was 10th in yards per route run. He was very efficient when he was on the field, which I think was maybe 30% of the snap share in Baltimore, Um, and he didn't get to run a lot of routes. Uh, But he's a guy who you can get later in the draft on a team that does need somebody to eat up some of those targets, Um, and he's definitely a prime option for it. Dirk Cutter's offense is made for the tight end to play as a pass catcher, not as a blocker, and those are successful factors that could lead to Hayden Hurst being a top 12 tight end and right now he's going at 117 and ADP so he's a guy you can get a take a flyer on in late rounds who might not work out but uh, the anticipation would be for him not to start off out of the gates hot because of COVID and how it's going to affect his ability to Mm -hmm. be acclimated yeah and that's kind of what I was getting at I guess I would say and the hype train is already starting with him I would just say tread lightly when it comes to that um as far as like I think some people maybe just expect, oh, well, Austin Hooper's gone. Let's just put all of Austin Hooper's, you know, 75 catches for whatever it was, 700 and something yards. Let's put all, like 90% of that on Hayden Hurst. And again, Hooper, that was like in 12 games. He was hurt for a month. But to me, I I would be a little nervous about that. Number one, new team. Um, number two, just with the known commodities with, with Julio and, and Calvin Ridley. And then you mentioned Todd Gurley we'll get to him we'll see what kind of volume he has I would just be a little bit concerned about taking him as a guy that I'm starting especially early in the season and again that's what to me I guess my way of saying just tread lightly on the hype train we've already seen um, Matt Ryan talking him up saying that he's one of the fastest and most athletic tight ends he's ever played with um well and Austin Hooper is your tight end for a couple years I don't think that's too difficult also I think NFL.com's Mark Sessler wrote either today or yesterday that he's predicting um, a pro bowl for Hayden Hurst this year. So you're going to start seeing that stuff. I think that draft position could get inflated the closer we get to the season um, from where it's at now. So I would just be a little concerned and probably he's a guy that I'm steering away from. I think the hype is going to get too big for me. That's my guess. I would agree. I would say he's a guy I want in the double digit rounds and not before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do agree that like maybe, you know, halfway through the season, maybe he turns into a guy that you want to start, but I'm not, I don't want to count on him for a full season. And I definitely don't want to count on him week one. Uh, I don't want to start him week one as my tight end for sure. Um, okay. We're going to move on to who I think is probably um, like last year, maybe the most polarizing fantasy football player in the NFL, at least for sure today. I feel like um, either him or Russell Wilson, but he plays a more important position and Todd Gurley. So Todd Gurley last year, with the Rams, 223 carries, career low. 857 rushing yards, career low. 12 touchdowns, so kind of got saved by the touchdowns a little bit. 31 receptions for 207 yards and two touchdowns, which was way down 
from his previous two seasons, just volume-wise, everything. He still finishes the RB12, and again, that's the 14 total touchdowns will do it. He's going as the RB15 or ranked that way on Fantasy Pros. Dalton, I know anytime I come across him in a mock draft, I just immediately pause. I get really nervous. I get the sweats. I can't. I, I don't know what to do with myself when Todd Gurley is staring me in the eye. What are you keeping an eye on with with him in training camp four? And just what do you think in general about Gurley on the Falcons this year? It's tough. He's a guy who is very similar to Chris Carson in the profile you want as a running back on your team. He clearly is the lead back. He clearly is going to get the passing down duties. And it's clearly an offense that's going to be playing up-tempo, so he's going to get a lot of opportunity at the same time. Last year, I think you could get him in the late second round because of his arthritic knee, which he played through and he seemed fine. But we're on to another season where he hasn't had an injury from it. It's a player that where I'm grabbing him, a lot of people are getting him in the third round. I really would prefer to get a James Conner type or Chris Carson, um, or I would take a wide receiver because of the risk factor attributed to it. And additionally, we talked about this. I'm not sure if he's going to be immediately acclimated to the system. One thing I can say for sure is he's playing behind a better offensive line. The Rams last year were absolutely atrocious. And Atlanta's a team that throws to the running back. So I can see the appeal there. It's just there's a lot of risk there. Um, and it's one of the few times where I see the volume, uh, but I'm going to avoid it because I just don't know how much longer he's going to hold up as a player. And I'm worried uh, as w- whether or not he's going to get a full season. So I'm curious then before I launch into my Todd Gurley thoughts, I'm curious if you had, like, if I told you, give me a range of outcomes, like a number the high end and the low end for Todd Gurley. What is that range? Um, I could see Todd Gurley with a 1,200-yard season and 60 catches. I could also see Todd Gurley with a 300-yard season and playing five games. <laughs> okay, so if I had to like like RB5, RB60, like give me numbers for high end and low end, like what you could see his, his variance being as the season ends. He could be, you know, RB8 or 9. Um, he could also be an RB thirty playing a full thirty game or full sixteen games. If he gets thirty games, he's RB one. <laughs> That's all I've got to say. That's all I've got to say. But yeah, uh, I think he's just a high variance player. Um, he can really hit. He can really run away. If I were to draft Todd Gurley, I'm probably going to try to take a safer pick later down in the draft to really bolster my roster. Whether that's uh, you know somebody like. Kareem Hunt, who you know will get catches, or Devin Singletary, but somebody who you can feel solid with who's going to get some work in case Todd Gurley doesn't pan out. Yeah, and it does depend on the structure of your team a little bit. Like if you, you know, for example, if you're the number one pick like I have and you end up with McCaffrey and somebody else in the second and you'd get Gurley early third, that's probably fine. If you end up with like the number five pick or four pick, you get Michael Thomas you take the swing on CEH in the late second and Todd Gurley and CEH are two running backs. That is terrifying. But I don't know. To me, I really still think Todd Gurley is like, and I'm not saying this is like more than like a 1% chance. I think his like upside, like his highest, highest end potential is the RB one. Like I still, I think that's his upside. Now, how likely he is to reach that very unlikely, but I still think that upside is there. As you mentioned, it's just so hard, 
so hard to know. It makes you feel so uneasy because of the health. The Rams, the team that knew him best, the team that knows that knee best, they released him. They didn't want him. Obviously, money was probably the primary factor in that. But the Falcons haven't brought anybody else in. I mean, if Gurley's healthy, if he's good to go, you've got to figure that he's going to get as much volume as he can handle. The question is what he can handle. But I don't know. You mentioned the offensive line, and I do think I think there was kind of a misconception last year where it was like, oh, like Gurley, he's just not right. Like the knee's not right. He doesn't look good. I think it's pretty freaking hard to look good when you're getting blown up in the backfield every third play. That O-line was just so terrible. And if you if you just watch highlights, watch some of his touchdown runs, when he got the blocking, you still saw Todd Gurley, or I still saw Todd Gurley, in my opinion. I still think that he looked like the same guy um, for the most part and still looked explosive when the runs were blocked for him. Um, and as I mentioned, the passing game was really the main area. It was career low and rushes, but a real big drop off receptions, like 20 plus receptions from the past couple of years. That's where he really got the breather, just wasn't on the field. Malcolm Brown, a lot of times, was the guy on the field on third down. So to me, I just wonder if the Rams did that. Is Was it because of health? Like they they were just trying to save him or... Is it because they just paid him and they were like, oh, crap, like we have to make this guy last three years. So, like, I don't know. We all kind of thought of his knee as this ticking time bomb coming into last year. And it's hard to know if that was really the case or if it was the Rams were doing whatever they could to make him last that whole contract. Um, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting thought exercise to think about that way. And the Falcons have him on a one year deal. They don't give a crap if he lasts after this year. I mean, they could work him into the ground. And if he gets major volume, I mean, I think he could be great. But I think he could also, his knee could be toast and he could be done. It's, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting discussion and it's all about your risk tolerance. Like Dalton, I would not suggest you draft Todd Gurley this year. I would trade him too quick. <laughs> okay. Unless you have anything else on Todd Gurley. Um I think I think I'm ready to move on from that discussion. That's a stressful discussion um, for me to have. Yeah, I think we should just hop into our last team here and who dat. If you mean the Cowboys, then yes, the Dallas Cowboys are our last team out of the NFC East. The 2019 record eight and eight. 2020, the over under the same as the Seahawks, which I think tells you all you need to know about what Vegas thinks of these two quarterbacks. Nine and a half. Dalton over under on the Cowboys. This is an over that I take every time. Um, and the reason for that is, th- and this is like a Charger stat for you. Uh, last year in one score games, the Cowboys went one and six, uh, despite having the sixth best point differential of plus 113 in the NFL. So they were so many one score, one possession games that they just couldn't eke out a win in, uh, that they are somebody who could win a lot. Also, based on Vegas win totals, they have the ninth softest schedule in the NFL. I know we don't put a lot of credit in uh, strength of schedule in the preseason, but it does say something that their opponents' Vegas win totals are that low. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with the under here. It's funny you mentioned the Chargers. It's just like the Cowboys are kind of the Chargers of the NFC, where it's like they just, you know, Stephen A always says they're an accident waiting to happen. And outside of the one, you know, 12 and four with 11 and five, whatever, whatever it was year Dak's rookie year for the most part that's just kind of they've been kind of the underachievers they've always had the talent and 
to me, I think number one, I think the Eagles are the best team in that division. I have more faith in them than the Cowboys. Number two, I do think at least the um, Redskins or not the Redskins, whatever they're going to be named next, the Washington team and the New York Giants. I think both of those teams are at least a little better this year. Maybe that's an extra loss in there somewhere as well. But I don't know. I think it's close. I just think it it kind of says all you need to know about the quarterbacks, even though Dak, as I will mention right now, the number two quarterback in fantasy, just not the same tier guy as Russell Wilson as a player. He threw, though, for almost 5,000 yards last year, 4,900 yards, which is a little jarring to just see typed out, quite honestly. 30 touchdowns. He also had almost 300 rushing yards and three touchdowns there. The three touchdowns was actually career low on the ground for him. I think he had been six every year before that. His 593 passing attempts were sixth in the NFL, so the volume is there. We expect it to be there. They upgraded from Witten to Blake Jarwin, from Randall Cobb to CeeDee Lamb. Even though he's a rookie, just the talent superior at this point to Randall Cobb. Does he have the upside, Dalton, to be not not quarterback one, like not a quarterback one, like the quarterback one this year? Yeah, I think that Dak is a guy who does have the upside to be the QB one in fantasy. Um, he has an outside shot at it. First of all, last season he had the number three ranking in the league on deep passing yards. Uh, that's a 20-plus yard throw. And he finished fourth in pro football focuses rushing grade at 76.2. When you're looking at a quarterback who's going to finish in the top, you know, three or be the best overall, you're looking for a guy with that rushing upside and he has it and they've added offensive weapons. And most importantly, and this says a lot about where they're going in the future, Mike McCarthy kept Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator, who was the guy who switched to that aired out offense. And I actually think after about week eight last season, we saw Jason Garrett try to rein back that offense a little bit. And I do believe that Mike McCarthy might let Kellen Moore really run the offense himself, especially with a shortened uh, preseason from COVID, giving him the opportunity to really let Dak air it out. And we're going to see air Dak all year. <laughs> so I think he does have the upside, but for some reason, and maybe it's just because of the way I look at this, I, I care more about the players than the situation, the volume, all that stuff sometimes. I feel better about guys like Russ and Deshaun, even though their volume has never been what Dax was last year. I just feel better about those two. And just in general, like, yeah, Dak has that upside, but if you're giving me the choice, like in that group of quarterbacks, he's never the guy that I end up with. I don't think I'll end up with him, but good player. I think he's going to be a top five, six guy. Um, obviously in a great situation, has a ton of great weapons. And let's get to his best weapon, uh, the guy that's been his running mate for a couple years, Ezekiel Elliott. We don't need to do too much on him. He kind of is what he is at this point. 301 rushes last year, which is just a crazy amount of rushes compared to the other guys we've been talking about. Um, over 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns. He had 54 receptions, 420 yards, two touchdowns. He was the RB4 and half-point PPR I guess the only question I would have here is this was the first season of his career that his yards per game were below 90 um, rushing, 84.8. Dalton, I see you typing in the Google Doc. Any concern there or what you got? No. Uh, in general, I think he's being drafted right where he belongs as the third running back, fourth running back overall. Um, while he had a worse rushing grade, this is one of those where the advanced metrics still stand in his favor. He also had a career high rushing grade of 82.9 and his yards after contact per rush were a career high at 3.2. Um, so 
He didn't have the rushes per game, but I think there was a little bit of a volume drop off with the increase in passing. Well, and the uh, offensive line just isn't what it was when he first came into the NFL, too. Yeah, losing Fredrickson definitely hurt. I think he is playing with a little more getting hit behind the line of scrimmage. But at the end of the day, he still gets his, you know, Zeke still eats. I think Zeke is still a successful running back. He still has all the metrics running in his favor, and I could easily see him getting back over that 90 threshold. And he's a guy with, if he gets, you know, 100 targets this year, it's, it looks even better for his fantasy upside. Yeah, and yeah, I don't want to spend too long on Zeke. I just do want to say that to me, He's kind of the uh, when you look at like that group of like the top four or five running backs, he is like the high floor guy. Like you can take McCaffrey out of that, I guess. Just like if you look at like two through five, like the Saquon Barkley, Zeke, Dalvin Cook, um, if you don't include any holdout concerns, and Alvin Kamara. Um, I think Zeke is like the high floor guy. If you're looking for Obviously, he has a high ceiling. Otherwise, he wouldn't be here. But I think Cook and Kamara both present maybe a slightly higher ceiling. But Zeke, you take him. You feel good about it to me in, in the top five. Um, now to a guy who it's hard to know what to feel about Amari Cooper sometimes, man. I just want to read you um, this stat line. This is courtesy of Matthew Barry, his draft day manifesto. Always a good read. Not draft day manifesto. His, his, big, his first big, like, I don't even remember. I don't even know what it's called, but he just has a ton of numbers. I think it's a hundred facts, hundred facts. You need to know about fantasy football. And so player a 4.9 receptions on 7.4 targets, 74.3 yards per game. And he had 15.4 fantasy points. Player B is 4.7 receptions per game, 79 yards per game. And he had 15.2 fantasy points. So Player A is Michael Gallup. Player B, no, sorry, player A is Amari Cooper. Player B is Michael Gallup. So that just shows you how close those two guys were in the games that Gallup played. And, you know, Cooper, yeah, he was 79 for almost 1,200 yards, eight touchdowns, top 10 wide receiver at wide receiver nine, nine games over 80 yards, which just tells you how up and down he was because he had some complete duds. Obviously, everybody remembers that Patriots game where he wasn't going to play. Then he played. Then Gilmore blanketed him. He didn't do anything. But I know Matt Harmon has talked a lot about how he feels like Cooper has fallen off a little bit as a route runner, gotten a little bit sloppy, maybe not quite the same guy. Dalton, there's no question, to me at least, that he is the top receiver talent-wise there and probably fantasy-wise too. But just when you think about Gallup and you think about Cooper, is Cooper's risk profile worth where he's being drafted right now? Well, it's interesting, um, and I say this because I'll start with the Dallas Morning Star reported after week eight of the season last year that Jason Garrett became heavily involved in the play calling. Additionally, from weeks one to seven, Amari Cooper was wide receiver four. From weeks nine to 17, he was wide receiver 21. All of his dud games came after Jason Garrett took over the play calling. So you can really take this into account and consider the fact that Jason Garrett might have reined in Kellen Moore's offense. He was wide receiver 30 in weeks 10 through 16. Exactly. And so he's just not a guy, wide receiver, uh, week nine, he had a great game, which is what pulls him up from nine through 17. Um, But, you know, he had a dud week 12. He had zero catches. That was the blanket game from Gilmore. Week 15, he had one catch for 19 yards. And for fantasy owners who really trusted the guy, week 16, he had four catches for 24 yards. So he's a guy who profiles as somebody who had a great start to the season and really started to fall off. And it might've been the plantar fasciitis bothering him. That was the big concern going into the season last Mm -hmm. year. Um, 
but you started to touch on this and I'll, I'll get a little more into it. His ADP is 26 and Michael Gallup's is 69 and nice. First of all, um, <laughs> but they have very, very similar profiles when it comes to receiving and they're both great receivers. So I am much more accustomed to waiting on Gallup and just skipping Cooper in the early rounds where I can get another receiver who can give me a great profile. So it's not that I don't like Cooper as a receiver. It's that I think I can get a very similar option in Michael Gallup later in the draft. Mm-hmm. Johnny, you still there, bud? If, yeah, you, if you had the choice, Amari Cooper in the second round or Michael Gallup in the sixth, who would you rather walk away with in your draft? Oh, I definitely think I mentioned this in our uh, mock draft. I, I love Gallup. I, mm-hmm. I'd take Gallup in the sixth rather than Cooper. Mm-hmm. On, on Fantasy Pros right now, their consensus rankings are 20 spots apart, 11 for Cooper, 31 um, for Gallup. To me, I don't know. It's hard. We can move on to Gallup now. I think, or at least I wonder, should we be concerned at all about C.D. Lamb when it comes to Michael Gallup? Yes. <laughs> I disagree entirely. Um, and at first I was concerned about CD lamb as well. Uh, first and foremost, one thing we know is that rookie wide receivers usually don't bloom early on, but with the departure of Randall Cobb, there's still a lot in this offense to eat up. Randall 83 Cobb, targets. Yep. And he had 828 yards and three touchdowns. Are you really going to be upset if CD lamb ends the season with 828 yards his rookie year? I don't think so. So there's enough volume there in a pass offense that does almost 5,000 yards that you can have all three, and I think Gallup and Amari Cooper still eat, and that CeeDee Lamb has an, a good rookie season. Mm-hmm. Well, I just wanted to ask, I think that just talking about just their distribution, I think people are high on Blake Jarwin, or some people are at least. I think to me that you know their tight end position gets a lot of targets. I think they were like 102 targets last year. I don't remember. I don't have the exact number. I have it somewhere, but that's a lot. I think you could see their tight end targets fall a little bit. I think I wouldn't be surprised if we see CeeDee Lamb carve out 100 targets. But to, to get back to Gallup a little bit, I do agree. I think he should probably be drafted closer to, to Cooper than he is. I probably wouldn't go too terribly high on him because it you know once you get into the mid-20s, it's like, okay, who are you moving him in front of? Like I know he's good, but so is everybody else in, in that spot. I mean, it's just it's so it's so tight. To me, but for as much as an enigma as Amari Cooper is, he's still a very talented guy, but he's always been just so up and down. I don't think Gallup is in the same tier for just talking as a wide receiver. I do think there's a, a little bit of a CeeDee Lamb concern. I think he could eat in the Gallup just a little bit, not much. I think all of that is kind of baked into his ranking. I'd move him up a hair, maybe. I think I maybe will when I update my rankings, but. I don't know. I think it's an interesting conversation. And I did want to touch on CeeDee Lamb a little bit. I mean, just a, a very, very talented rookie. You mentioned the the rookie receiver thing. I with with COVID, who knows, who knows what to think. But I think him and Jerry Judy could kind of be two guys that are exceptions to that a little bit. I think those guys are both just so so good especially Judy, but I think CeeDee Lamb is very, very good too. I think he can be a big factor on that team. Obviously, I mean, he kind of fell in their laps, but do you think Jerry Jones is getting a toy like that in the first round and allowing his coaches to not use them? Like, he's going to be involved, and I actually have seen some stuff that it could be all three levels, and when I say that, he's a good deep ball guy. We know that. He can move in the slot, and also I think they plan to use him on some jet sweeps, some of that stuff, so you like that 
you likely is going to get involved in a lot of different ways. Dalton, is there a world where you're taking a chance on him late, late in the draft, or would you rather take a chance on somebody who's a second year guy, third year guy has that continuity that we've talked about? If I'm what CD Lamb is, is he is a high ceiling guy that you're taking late and hoping he hits. If I'm in that position, and I've said his name once, I'll say it again. I'm taking Nicole Hardman. It's a better offense. He's more tuned to it. He definitely has already showed he's explosive in the NFL. My only concern about CD Lamb, and I don't mean this as a disservice to him because he was elite in college after the catch and route running, but he also played with some of the most absurd quarterbacking talent the, the college has seen from Baker Mayfield to Kyler Murray to Jalen Hurts. Uh, so he's never had to deal with a situation where he was coming into an offense and he was asked to produce. He won't be in Dallas, but I want, I wonder how quickly he can really make his face known, especially as we've said before with the current concerns and the current environment with a lack of preseason. Yeah. And like, to me, he's a guy, if you're taking him, you're hoping number one, like I said, you're hoping that even with the adjustment, that the fact that he's involved in every aspect, you know, deep passes, short passes in the slot on the outside, a little bit in the running game. You're hoping that's enough. Um, you're also hoping for a second half surge, which with a lot of these rookies, that that's what you've got to be hoping for. And you get a guy that late. Um, you're not drafting on the stardom, obviously. And quite frankly, you're hoping for an injury. And I mean, Michael Callup got hurt last year. Cooper, he played all 16. He's always banged up. He did not play all 16, I think, the year or two before that in Oakland. So that's the thing. It's like he's kind of one of those guys that he's almost a handcuff where if one of those top two receivers were to miss time, like, okay, let's say Cooper's out for six weeks. I'd say Michael Gallup is a top 14 ranked guy, and I'd say Lamb is probably top 24. I'd say both those guys are probably in the 15 to 25 range. I definitely agree with that. Um, I think the big bet is if you can get an injury to that wide receiver core, he's being slotted in immediately. He's a week in, week out wide receiver too. Um, at the same time, if you're in a deep, deep league and you're looking for some dart throws, I do just want to throw his name in there. But Devin Smith was a guy last season who mm-hmm. really showcased some explosiveness. Um, and if you're in a best ball league or something like that, he's a guy you can take at the very end who – is just one injury away from getting the wide receiver three position, and he has some game-breaking speed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just last guy before we finish up here, Blake Jarwin. Dalton, I don't know how much you have to say on the guy. I don't have a ton. I feel like I see him as a sleeper, or I hear people talk about him as a sleeper. I get it. The Cowboys were eighth in the league in tight end targets. I knew I had that somewhere with 126 last season. He had 41 last year, so if you just – if you do the math, if you think they're going to be around the same, if you think that he's going to be the lead guy in targets, I can see that. What I also see and what I think is more likely is that more targets go to those top three receivers. Jarwin's not really a guy that I'm interested in. I think there's other tight ends with more upside, with less downside, and that are just, quite frankly, more talented guys than than him that I'd take a chance on. But Dalton, do you have any interest in in that situation or is there anything that you could like hear out of training camp are you any like training camp hype you could hear on Blake Jarwin that would get you excited well he's going in ADP of 175 right now so you could really get him with your last pick um digging into it the only stat I really found worthwhile was he only played 39 percent of the offensive snaps last season but he was sixth among tight ends in yards per target um and number eighth 
in yards per route run. So he's definitely a guy who's intriguing and I could take a flyer on him. Um, but it's just such a monster of an offense and there's so many mouths to feed that it's just a big concern as to whether or not he's going to have consistency at the tight end position or if you're going to be having some zero and some 15 point games in there. So mm-hmm. I'm, I could see myself taking a flyer if I take a risky tight end who has an injury history. But other than that, I'd probably just watch him on the waiver wire where he'll probably end up in a lot of leagues. Yeah, and then we we've talked about teams running more three receiver sets. You you've got to imagine that you're going to see a lot of three receiver sets. You're going to see obviously Zeke is going to get his. We didn't even mention and probably won't mention Tony Pollard. He's a guy that is a, a league winner, one of the top handcuffs probably being drafted. So there's just a lot of guys there, and quite frankly, I think Blake Jarwin is kind of just a guy. And when you're just a guy on a team that has a lot of guys, that you know that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that about says it for the Cowboys. That's going to do it for us on episode five of the Half Point Per Podcast, the bonus episode this week. Follow us on Twitter at Half Point Per Pod. Kevin Stefanski just had to get that in before this pod is over. Our show is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, most notably Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review review on iTunes. Subscribe, download, all of that good stuff. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you later this week.